0: Join over 350,000 people just like you who are taking control of their wellness journey with Viome. When it comes to choosing the right food and supplements for you, don't guess. Test. With Viome's health intelligence test, you get over 30 health insights based on your unique biology and your gut microbiome. You also receive personalized food recommendations and precision supplements formulated literally just for you. Use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off a health intelligence test.
1: are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.
0: Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius Podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button, and we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running, and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me A Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going. And I love coffee. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a returning guest, uh, Brendan Coventry. He's an Associate Professor of Surgery in Adelaide, uh, South Australia. Uh, we're going to talk about a uh, vaccine, actually, from melanoma that he's been working on and researching. So, Brendan, welcome back. How are you doing? Yeah,
2: thanks a lot, Richard.
0: You know, in case this is listeners' first listen of you, uh, just give me a little bit of your background, and then let's talk about your current work.
2: Yeah, oh, look, thanks. Um, yeah, it's a bit unusual to have a surgeon uh, Playing around with uh, vaccines and immunology, but um, I did a PhD in immunology some years ago, uh, about thirty years ago, and, and uh, I've been interested in immunology really uh, during that and ever since, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty fascinating. So, so my real training is in in uh, PhD immunology and then surgery, and uh, and. Uh, my day job's uh, as a surgeon, and and but I do a lot of research in immunology, particularly vaccines, looking at um, uh, at trying to boost the body's own immune system against uh, cancer cells, and trying to trying to remove cancer cells. And we've had a modicum of success in that area.
0: Okay, so so is this a uh, this is a vaccine? But I mean, vaccines usually, from what I understand, they happen before a person gets sick with, you know, whatever it may be, that, you know, viral, bacterial infection. is This a, This sounds like a post, obviously, if you can call it cancer an infection, but this is a post-intervention, uh, it seems like. So yeah, is, it, is it proper no, to call it a vaccine or a treatment?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've you, you really hit on it there, Richard, in that you're right. Many people, just about everyone, thinks that vaccines or thinks of vaccines as being the type of thing that you give to like a part of an infection or some component related to the infection that can actually prevent uh, the actual infection itself and the severe infection occurring. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with COVID. We're trying to do with measles, uh, polio, and many other uh, diseases that we get vaccinated against. So, uh, So that's sort of like a conventional view of vaccination. But what we're talking about here is something a little bit. Uh, it's very similar, but it's something a little bit different. And that is that when you've got an an established cancer growing, itself is um, inciting some form at various levels of of immune reaction. It's very rare to have a cancer that doesn't incite some level of immune reaction. So so the, the body's aware of this cancer sitting there growing, and there's tiny little molecules complex molecules on the surface of, of cancer cells. In fact, they're on the surface of a lot of body cells and these, these are given off uh, as the cell dies or as the cell is damaged and the body is constantly reacting to these. So the immune system picking up these molecules and causing a reaction and that reaction is capable of of slowing the cells in terms of their growth or even killing the cells. So parts of the immune system can attach to the cancer cells and blow them apart, basically. Uh, and it does this through a variety of mechanisms. And we, we're really just starting to uncover some of those mechanisms. And, um, and it can it's capable of killing tumor cells and it's capable of killing whole masses of tumor cells. In fact, in some cases, uh, kilos of tumor cell. So that's that's sort of the principle of vaccination used not as a as a prevention but as a treatment for uh, cancer.
0: What is the mechanism of action? Without giving away proprietary info, but how does this uh, treatment work to help kill cancer cells?
2: So people have been um, playing around with um, with a lot of vaccines over the years. In fact, it, pro- it goes back 100, more than a hundred years, where people have used uh, parts of um, infectious molecules various um, various ways of, of trying to vaccinate against cancer and uh, and and being moderately successful uh, and then there's some ways that that should work that don't seem to be very effective at all and that's kind of uh, colored a lot of people 's views of vaccines as as a possible form of cancer treatment so there were a lot of trials done around the 1950s for example. Uh, 60s, 70s, and into the 1980s. And and what they did was to try and use um, cancer cells that had been immobilized in some way, irradiated, uh, for example, uh, and they could be injected into other patients. So cancers from one patient irradiated to stop them dividing or causing any trouble could be uh, injected into other patients. And, And so there was a lot of work done there there was cells that were split apart. And I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute because that's that's turning out to be one of the most important ways. Um, so cells could be split apart and they could be used uh, to, to create vaccines, either from the patient's own cancer or from someone else's cancer. And that could be used as a, as a vaccine uh, to try and treat the cancer. And And then um, the thought was that maybe if there's a component of these um some tiny little molecule, then maybe we could strip out that molecule and we could refine it and then use those molecules as a much more specific way of treating. And it turns out that that the more simple you make the vaccine, so if you do strip out these molecules and use them to vaccinate, it, it seems to become less effective. There's some problem with with actually simplification. So you would have thought that maybe if it was purer and closer to to the sort of thing that was causing the reaction then maybe it should be better but that's not the way it's it's working out so so vaccination is uh, the mechanism that that is working here is is it's never been particularly clear and i think this is another thing that's colored people's views of things you know it's nice to have a a simple drug molecule that you you think is working a certain way. And believe it or not, we're finding out that a lot of them aren't working that way. They're actually working different ways to the ways that they're actually registered for. And, uh, or they have some extra effects, say. So, uh, so we, in terms of the mechanism of action, we, we still aren't picking that. We're still trying to work it
0: out. You, I mean, what do you observe under, I mean, are you able to observe any, any action under a light microscope in a petri dish or anything? Thing or can you use an organoid oh, and, model of of this cancer? Like you must be able yeah, to see some yes,
2: kind of but, action. Yeah, you can. So the sort of action that you see is is a, a, an incitement, if you like, or a boosting of the immune system reaction. So you can you can measure that by looking at the activity of cells that come from the white cells that come from the blood, and they can be activated. Um, so you can measure um, various levels. It's it's not easy to measure. Terribly much in the immune system that's really reliable, but but you can measure things that change as a result of this vaccination process occurring. For example, um, you know, with our a lot of our um, vaccines that we're talking about recently with COVID and other things, um, you can measure antibody responses, and with just just like that, you can measure antibody responses to vaccines against cancers as well. So you can measure things to do with the cells, the cellular responses, and you can measure things to do with the release of chemicals like antibodies, uh, which is the humoral responses. Uh, You can also measure the release of certain products from the cells that boost immune system function, like the interleukins, for example, uh, which are very important for boosting and growing, uh, expanding T cells, for example, which are part of the white cell population. Um, and, and very important for fighting cancer. So, so yeah, you can measure uh, lots of components that, you know, show that there's a reaction going on and a boosting going on. But a lot of them aren't terribly reliable as biomarkers to predict whether a particular patient's going to get the response or a patient might not. Um, so it's, it's it's a little bit fuzzy around the edges, if you like. And we, we it's not as if you're measuring something in the blood uh, like an, an, an element like um, lithium or glucose or something like that in the blood. And you can say, look, uh, this is going up. This shows a definite change. A lot of the immune system measurements are a little bit uh, less clear than that. And, and so you, you, you have trouble really showing exactly why uh, immune responses are occurring effectively in some people, uh, but not effectively in others. You can see it. How
0: do you characterize the immune response? It's, you know, the generic words immune response don't, don't really tell me specifically what's happening, like what is happening.
2: So, so the, the way we know it's working, for example, is that the tumor is regressing and, and in some cases completely disappearing. So we've got really good evidence. We've got a number of patients that are alive um, from anywhere between, you know, 15 and, and 22 years that have been vaccinated. Uh, so against their cancer. So the cancer is busy growing and you come along with your vaccine and you inject and it usually requires a number of different um, vaccinations over a, a period of time. And, uh, and the, the tumour just disappears. It just goes. So that clearly the vaccine has caused or incited something that has been going on in the patient, maybe at a lower level, maybe partly switched off, and not activated uh, terribly effectively. And, and it turns this around and, and activates it effectively so that it can cause the immune response to effectively uh, uh, injure the tumor and remove it. So you can see the clinical responses, and you know that, uh, that this is something that's occurred through the immune system. The immune system's a mediator here, but trying to actually measure the exact components that are going up and going down uh, that are causing the response is a bit more problematic and and this
0: is yeah, all, but all but of what's going on. but how would you have developed this or contemplated in the first place that there was no proposed I, mechanism of action
2: well i mean how, how do we contemplate or propose most things uh, a lot of a lot of our scientific discoveries and things that end up as treatments are just totally serendipitous so we we might observe something. So, for example, when when you give a treatment that that um, damages a cancer, for example, radiation treatment or chemotherapy, cytotoxic chemotherapy, um, you can you can actually observe the damage. So, if you take biopsies or you can you you see a part of the tumor. Um, it's able to be observed well. Then you can uh, you can actually see the damage that's occurred as a result of uh, those treatments, and it's it's that damage that that actually actually produces a vaccine response as well. So um, so we've known about this for a while, uh, and what it does is it releases little parts of the molecules that are on the cells, and the cells can uh, die as a result of the, the therapies. And it's and and they actually you get a double whammy so not only the the cells killed but the cells release products and those products actually act to vaccinate the patient because vaccinations are a natural continuous process that's going on all the time in all of us and it's it's just completely under the radar it's very hard to measure it's very hard to see it's invisible but it's going on all the time so we're constantly getting exposed to environmental uh, chemicals uh, they come from in the form of uh, allergens and and various other things in the air that we breathe uh absorbed through the skin they can be eaten and and then the gut takes them up and they get it into. Just, the
0: it just it just seems like a like a misnomer This doesn't seem really like a vaccine at all it just seems like immunotherapy i just wonder why 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 would you want to call it a vaccine instead of a immunotherapy is there well, is it it's, easier it's, to get it out there or is there more interest because it's called a vaccine or why?
2: No, no. In fact, it's a vaccine like immunotherapy. The term immunotherapy was, was, um, is only a fairly recent invention. It's um, Immunotherapy is, is just an immune system therapy. And this is an immunotherapy. It's just an immune system therapy. But what we've been working on is something that actually turns the immune system around. Now, you can argue that a lot of the immunotherapies that have just been developed fairly recently for cancer treatment, like um, the anti-programmed uh, death one receptors, anti-PD1, trade names are pembrolizumab and nivolumab and things like that. And the, the uh, anti-CTLA-4 therapies like ipilimumab, for example, um, they're, uh, they're sort of recent immunotherapies. A bit earlier to that, was something called interleukin-2, which expands T-cells and boosts T-cell responses. So prior to that was tuberculosis vaccine, and that was used as an immunotherapy as well. And that can, appears to work by, and we still don't know, but it appears to work by boosting the, the innate immune system or the very primitive immune system first, and then that ends up inciting the more complex immune system or the so-called adaptive immune system uh, and and causes an effect not against the tuberculosis uh, um, bacterium, but against the tumor itself. So that's used, for example, in bladder cancer. So, So immunotherapy is a broad term that's used, and this is a type of immunotherapy. Why it's a vaccine, though, is that you give a little component of it and it's able to get a big response, and that's what we do, if you think, with the preventive vaccines so we we use those and and what we do is we we in, inject a tiny amount of the um polio virus which which can be uh, live and and attenuated or made weaker and or it can be killed, so that some vaccines are killed vaccines. Interestingly enough, the live vaccines are generally stronger and longer lived. And one of our components of our vaccine is we use a virus and it's the old virus that was used against smallpox and uh, vaccinia virus. And we can we can actually boost the immune response using vaccinia virus. Other viruses will do it, too. But vaccinia virus is really neat because it, it actually can. Lies cells or split apart cells as well.
0: Are you using it as a uh, as a vector to get a different payload into the cells, or how are you using it?
2: Yeah, well, um, it's interesting you say that because we're not, but other groups are trying to use viruses as vectors. So things like adenovirus and vaccinia virus, they can use them as as ways to sort of um, transport it into into cells. So if we know it gets into a cell. We can actually use the virus as uh, to add something to uh, and take genetic material or or protein or, or whatever into the cell. So so that's the purpose of a vector. But but in in, in our uh, system, we're not using it that way. We're using it as a way of actually damaging the cells and splitting the cells apart and creating the vaccine. So uh, so it's it's a really neat way of of getting a, a double whammy because you you get parts of tumor cell and you get virus and the virus can actually stimulate the immune system we've always known for a long time Richard that the immune system can be stimulated by viral infection and 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 you know that's that's the reason that people get into trouble it often overstimulates the immune system for example in covid most recently but also in in conditions like um Hepatitis, where the liver gets overstimulated and the and the immune system starts to attack the liver, we can have uh, situations, uh, many situations where where the virus actually can incite an immune response and and cause a massive outpouring of of uh, products from the immune system, which can overwhelm the system and and cause the whole system to collapse. So it can be really dramatic sometimes. Sometimes it's a lot milder, like a like a a common cold or or a mild flu type infection, where uh, there's a reaction for a period, um, might be um, uh, mainly respiratory, and then uh, it it there's a recovery and it, and it's overcome. So we know viruses can incite immune responses, but really interesting is the fact that um, people can sometimes get infections, and these can be bacterial infections or viral infections so completely what what you'd imagine are completely different infections and get rid of their tumor as a part of having this infection so infections are are able to gear up the immune system against the infection but the side effect is that you actually gear up the immune response that's already going on against the cancer as well and occasionally these infections can get rid of cancer altogether so we've you know, we know that um, infections are a very powerful way of boosting the immune response, and in a way, a lot of these newer immunotherapy treatments do exactly that. What they do is they just drive on the immune system, fire it up in a non-specific way, and and as a side effect, you get the activity of the immune system against the cancer being boosted.
0: And, right, but again, what what was the if you don't know the method of action, what was the serendipity that caused you to be able to develop this to find it? There's got to be well, some way; it wasn't just random.
2: No, no, absolutely, and and so so there was a there was a lot of work going on in in around the 1950s when the people started to get interested in maybe you could use cancer to vaccinate against cancer, and so by this I mean that people started to realize that you could you could actually break down uh, and you can do this a whole variety of different ways, try and kill cancer cells in, in the lab. And then you could take those cancer cells and inject them back into the same patient and that you'd get a, you'd get an immune response occurring. You could test them against the white cells that you could take from that same patient in the lab. And you could test them in the lab and, and see if, if the white cells were stimulated. And, and the observation was was being frequently made that, yes, you could. You could actually see reactions of the body's own white cells against the cancer cells that were broken down. And, and, and so you could demonstrate this. And then people started to look at this a bit more, and this was quite a number of labs across the world, at all sorts of different ways of manufacturing uh, cancer vaccines this way and uh, so that's probably why it got the term vaccine early in the piece and then the immune system could be stimulated taking part even better by taking parts of someone else's cancer splitting it apart so it couldn't divide or cause any trouble and then using that as a vaccine to inject into people with a similar type of cancer uh, so this was. So you, are you sure possible. you're
0: you're not you're not affecting the the localized microbiome of the given tumor and influencing that way? Could that be a method of action, not just immune stimulation?
2: Yeah, um, we don't. We probably understand less about the microbiome of the actual tumor itself than than the microbiome anywhere else, and we don't understand a massive amount about the microbiome in a lot of other areas. Uh, the main topic that's being worked on at the moment is the microbiome in the gut uh, and its influence on on sort of systemic immune responses elsewhere in the body uh, away from the gut Um, but uh, but in terms of the microbiome in the cancer most of the cancers pretty much sterile in that uh, or relatively sterile in that there's not a lot of bacteria that are present Inside the tumor, now a gut tumor may be a bit different. A respiratory tumor is is a bit different because these are on the surface, so they're actually exposed to bacterial populations. But inside the body, in a deep part of the body, there's very few bacteria. There's there's not much of a microbiome that we can identify yet.
0: Discover how your gut microbiome is impacting your cellular health immune health, and how you're aging from the inside out with Viome's health intelligence test. Collect your samples, send them to the Viome lab, and within two to three weeks, your health scores and food and supplement recommendations will be available to you right in your Viome app. Visit Viome.com and use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off your health intelligence test. Just one thing that may be of interest to you is... uh... I had interviewed a scientist named Florencia McAllister, and they did find in pancreatic tumors there was a different localized microbiome than the rest of the pancreas. But they also did find a localized microbiome specific to the pancreas as well. So perhaps that that you know that assumption is not valid, and there is a microbiome that may be substantial enough in all parts of the body to affect you know cellular action, change the trading of metabolites, you know bring along associated phages that. Maybe protective to the whole, you know, the whole arrangement for that particular cell and change its interaction with the rest of the body.
2: Yeah. Well, that's possible. You see, the pancreas itself, I'm not familiar with that work. So you'd have to, you'd have to sort of look at this in a bit more detail. But the, the pancreas itself is part of the gut. So it actually has a a duct system and those ducts are actually exposed to the to the uh, gastrointestinal bacteria as well to some degree so uh, so if you're talking about ductal cancer of the pancreas then uh, you know maybe but um but inside the pancreas itself remote more remote from the ducts maybe would i wonder if there's a bio, microbiome there because you, you wouldn't expect one um and most of the tumors that i've been dealing with are inside the body like within the uh breast although having said that the breast actually has its own ducts as well so you know maybe this is maybe this is something that um can be uh, clarified a little more uh with with more research into it uh, but um and it's not to say that the bacteria and viruses don't exist within tumors we we know that they can and do uh, in certain tumors but um it's it's something that i don't think we've um we've really appreciated much and so i can't really comment any further on that
0: yeah that's okay it's just something to point out that maybe uh you know maybe important that's why i just you know again no one knows but uh it might be something to include in the in the picture of what's going on, when you guys are treating melanoma, are you treating it in a metastatic state. I mean, uh, it seems yeah. like melanoma is incredibly prone to metastases. So even if it doesn't appear to be any, maybe it's in a metastatic state. And you know, when does your application work better versus not work as well? Does it work better in early stage melanoma or late?
2: It's been really hard to get a handle on that. It's a good question though, because what what we have noticed is that even patients that have um, extensive metastases big metastases and those that um that are seemingly you know uh, they've had other treatments as well um that are seemingly incredibly difficult to treat uh, they they can sometimes respond incredibly well um others that you might think have only got one or two uh, metastases uh, you might say well look, gee you know that that looks much earlier stage and it should be able to be treated a lot more easily Um, don't seem to respond as well. So it's a mixed bag and we don't have a really good handle. It's exactly the same as what you see with almost all forms of cancer um, treatment. Uh, For example, chemotherapy of many different types, immunotherapies of many different types, uh, radiation treatment given many different ways and in many sites. Um, It's very hard to predict who's going to respond and who won't. Uh, things that you, situations that you expect might be much more easily treated and ones that you expect are incredibly difficult to treat. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's not straightforward and, and it's something that we are struggling to get a handle on. You might imagine that there'd be some patterns though, Richard, and and th- there are a few, but they're, they're a lot fewer than you'd imagine. And
0: this what what is, are the I mean,
2: patterns and what do they suggest? Well, for example, we know that uh, tumours in lung, for example, and, and subcutaneous um, metastases from melanoma appear to be easier to treat with immunotherapies than those that are, are related to bone uh, and uh, to some degree the central nervous system. So we we... You know, it's it's not necessarily site specific quite as easily as that, but it is to some degree site specific. So there's been a, a fair bit of work with this, and and with and it really goes back to your question about uh, the microbiome in a way because um, there's a group in Canada that have been looking at different bacteria that are present in different locations in the body so for example the lung and the skin uh, just two examples um, have a different uh, microbiome mix and so their argument is that if you use a vaccine that can uh, that can boost the immune system um, you've you really need to adjust for this difference in the microbiome and you you might Choose one type of bacteria for treating lung, and another type of bacteria, uh, or a variation of it, for treating skin metastases. So, so this is, or even primaries in those locations. So, so this is uh, there's some fascinating information that we've got that might have relevance, but it, it's it's been pretty hard joining the dots here, and uh, and and this lack of pattern. Between the different treatments is has been incredibly frustrating, and it's hard to see why there's not more of a pattern that, that's emerged. Because you'd expect, perhaps, that intuitively, that that there might be some more common ground than we're finding. It's it's more haphazard than we'd been expecting, and the answer the the reason for that is could lie in the fact that when tumors grow they don't don't grow as a single like a like a tissue they grow as tissues grow as as uniform groups of cells in cancers they they tend to develop genetic mutations and end up as a uh, as a whole lot of different clones so that they're not actually one thing when we look at them from the outside as a mass we we Imagine them as as one entity, uh, like a tissue, say. but they're not quite like that. They, they, they have a lot of heterogeneity in them genetically and, and also in the protein structure as well. So this may explain why we get this sort of mixed picture and parts of the tumour can, can actually respond to treatment and the other parts might not. Uh, and yeah, I know. I know
0: tumors are and very heterogeneous, right? So, I understand tumors are very heterogeneous. So, are you able to observe that this treatment affects the outer part of the tumor, the inner part? Does it make it into a Swiss cheese, and the whole thing <laughs> dies, or like what happens?
2: No, it. It see the, the interesting thing is that when you get when when you see the spectacular responses, you get complete regression. It all goes. The whole lot goes. Um, we've we've had kilos of tumour just disappear as a result of this vaccination immunotherapy approach. So so when the immune system's turned on, it's turned on in a really big and effective way. And and this is this is probably our our biggest glimpse into to the to the actual mechanisms that we can ultimately will ultimately find and will ultimately be able to use in in therapeutics for for cancer you know the window is just a little bit open and we can see a tiny view through it but we can't see the whole picture yet and one of the things that that um you know it's very exciting because we we actually know that there is there are treatments there we know how to make it but we know we can make it effective in some situations but we don't exactly know how to make it effective in more situations and that's really the topic that we're drilling down on now, you know, to try and see if we can, we know we can get these responses. We know they're long-term. We we also are hooked up on this word cure too, because what is a cure? A cure presumably is that you don't die of that particular disease uh, and you can get rid of it. And maybe uh, you can. I, keep- I
0: think a cure, a cure would be, that the disease appears to be, you know, you're asymptomatic; it's gone, and you don't need any drugs to keep you going. Management seems to be the the flavor of the the decade or the the century, where, you know, it may not kill you, but you still have to take x number of drugs in order to manage it and keep it going. So,
2: yeah, I, I don't know about that because um, if you talk to a lot of patients about this, they they actually want it gone altogether. This idea of having A bit of tumour sitting there that's indolent and and stable and not moving and they're still busy living their lives is they don't feel that they're cured you know certainly the patients I talk to don't feel that they're cured they're uh, reprieved and they're alive and they're not terribly troubled by it but it's still there and and they're always frightened that it's going to come back but it, it it comes back to what i was trying to get at a minute ago that this idea of the notion of cure i had a um when um uh, the vaccine hit the hit the press fairly recently here in australia and, and uh, well, i've had calls from all over the place all over the world uh, all over australia and and people emailing me wanting uh, for all sorts of types of tumours too because there's clearly a massive need with people with cancer that have failed treatments and and so the stuff that we're throwing at cancers are working in a small percentage of patients in, in, uh, in a lot of a lot of for a lot of tumors um, but they're not working for the vast majority of patients so uh, in the vast majority of tumors and so what we what we've got is this massive area of unmet need absolutely massive uh, and people are are failing treatments every day They're facing, staring down death, and they really want something else. They're also terribly troubled by the side effects. The side effects of a lot of these treatments are horrendous. Some of them even include death itself uh, as a side effect of of treatment-related toxicity. Um, But, you know, there's a massive area of need. And, And one of the emails that came through was fascinating because what it said was that from a daughter of, of a lady who had died only just a year or so ago and 60 years previously she'd had a melanoma removed and she was fine uh, for for 60 years until um, her husband died and she became incredibly depressed and, uh, and very, very upset and uh, she uh, suddenly noticed that she had some lumps appearing and those lumps, when they were biopsies, showed melanoma. To her knowledge and the knowledge of all the medical specialists, she'd never had another melanoma removed. So the question really remained as to whether this was uh, a tumour that had been sitting indolent for 60 years and had finally become activated when the immune system had lost its guard. And so you might have been excused for thinking that she was cured, having had the melanoma 60 years before. 60 years of survival, no trouble, no evidence. You couldn't detect it anywhere, any scans, any any clinical evidence of it, uh, all gone. And yet this happens and she gets recurrence. So um, so it is interesting that, that we may be assuming that all tumour has gone, every single cell, and maybe in some cases it has, but how would you know? Because small volumes of tumour might still sit there and are being controlled by the immune system. That's how powerful it is.
0: Yeah, but but how would you know that the lady after sixty years doesn't have a new cancer that happens to be melanoma again, and she wasn't yeah, cured? Well essentially, the it's definition true. could be anything anyone wants. Yeah.
2: yeah, it could, and she could be throwing off cancers all the time, and and these being knocked off by the immune system, and this one just got through. So that's quite true. It could have it could have occurred that way. However, it's um it, it's she had no evidence of any other uh, melanoma at all she had no evidence of any any existing melanoma or having ever having had it treated um or burned off or anything like that so uh yeah you can get melanomas that regress uh melanomas that um from no primary that you can identify um that they're all well recorded so maybe that is the case i don't know but um but you could also hypothesize that that uh, with the lack of any other evidence of a melanoma that this is set there for 60 years and finally been activated and we we have other examples that similar things maybe for not quite so long but other examples of that too so uh, you know it, it does raise a lot of questions about how we detect cancer you know because clearly in in Small numbers of cells or single cell stage you can 't detect it it 's very, very hard to detect unless and this is you know you get lucky and just happen to sample that particular area but um, it it raises the uh, likely scenario that in fact the immune system's constantly monitoring for malignant cells and it 's constantly monitoring for cells that are damaged or, or aberrant or injured and removing them and so if this system gets disturbed in any way then it it opens the door for these cells to actually grow and when they start growing they start altering and become heterogeneous and and start genetically mutating and then you've got this collection of cells that are all of different types with different environmental evolutionary advantages too so so, you know, some cells are going to be more uh, resistant to chemo, more resistant to radiation treatment, more resistant to the immune system. And what you really need is some sort of uh, way of immunizing against this. And it, it raises a question of being able to uh, vaccinate. The body probably vaccinates itself all the time. Almost certainly it does because we are losing cells uh, out of tumors. They're dying uh, naturally uh, as part of the tumour growth so growth and death and uh, they're releasing components of those cells and they're actually uh, the immune systems picking those up and then reacting so um, so there's this constant vaccination process going on in, in almost every cancer patient almost certainly uh, and uh, the challenge really is to try and harness that and to try and Get a vaccine that can work against the individual tumours and also maybe malignancy in general.
0: Yeah, what stage are you guys at with this? Is it uh, through clinical trials? Is it in clinic or not yet?
2: So what we've done is we've we've had the results of a a, a moderate size clinical trial. We've um, treated patients with um, this type of vaccine with advanced melanoma, so melanoma that's spread that's unable to be removed surgically, and then we've uh, observed to see what sort of effects it's had and we've observed some of these patients for as I was saying before over twenty years so we we really know that they can gain long term survival um, if we get a really good effect. Uh, and what we've seen is that in seventeen percent one seven percent uh, we can actually remove all tumor so we can get complete responses which is which is remarkably high. We were very surprised by that uh, because even in this major immunotherapies that that have been approved already um, the uh, uh, the rate of complete regressions uh, uh, are only around twelve percent or so um, yeah you can get some other responses that allow you to live with the cancer and it's stable and, and so on. And they're, they're excellent. You know, they're, they're of great value. But they, uh, it sits at around 30% of cases for a lot of the single immunotherapies. Um, and that leaves about 70% or so of people that that actually end up dying of their disease. So this, uh, this is what I was saying earlier, too, that there's uh, a massive area of unmet need uh, where where people really don't have effective treatments that they can go on with. so Well, it may so, not
0: be the only the only metric that, I mean, there may not be one important metric only. So 17% appear to go into complete remission, I guess I'll call it. But even if there was none, but the death rate was lower and people just lived with it as yeah. a chronic type thing, that would be a huge improvement yeah. too. So like, which of the, um, I don't know, which of the metrics in terms of efficacy do you think is the most impressive? or Which is
2: included? Well, the complete responses are are the most impressive, boy, that without, without any doubt. Um, if you get rid of all tumour, then that's spectacular, and it's um it's something that I think should be the goal. In that patients really, you know, desire that, and and I think that uh, that sure, you know, you can get what we were able to generate too was was a whole range of partial responses, which which sat at. Um, uh, around uh, uh, twenty, uh, just over twenty percent mark, and where part of the tumour reduced in size, and and you could you could actually get uh, partial regression, but not complete. And then we had um, another uh, percentage which pushed it up to the the total. Uh, these were stable responses where the the tumour just wouldn't grow; it just stayed put, uh, which is effective too. And in a clinical sense, and so we we had seventy eight percent of our patients had some form of clinically useful response. So that is the complete response was added to the partial response was added to the stable disease, which is which is reasonably high. Which shows that this type of technique is it's possible to actually make it quite effective in the uh, in the repertoire of treatment melanoma and and possibly other cancers because we we now know that other cancers um demonstrate similar sorts of molecules on their surface similar types of molecules that their immune systems react to so um, patients from immune systems react to so you can uh you can actually have some activity of similar types of vaccines in in other cancer types i'm sure we yet to show that in a clinical trial. So our clinical trials have been restricted to metastatic melanoma. But we've got some some other evidence that, that it might uh, well work in other cancers, other cancer types.
0: Well, excellent. So, Brendan, where can people keep tabs on this um, so at the moment that it's available or they can so, sign up for a clinical trial, they can do that?
2: Yeah, so what we've done is uh, they can contact me through Adelaide University uh, email. Uh, we've set up a a uh, company to try and sort of move this on a bit because we need, you know, clearly this is incredibly expensive and we need a lot more backing behind it to to move it on. A lot more research to be done. Uh, so that's Cancuravax, C-A-N-C-U-R-A-V-A-X dot com, and and if they um, if they, we're hoping to start up a clinical trial fairly soon, looking at um, this type of vaccine in in other cancers as well. Well,
0: Hopefully very good. We... Yeah, no, that's excellent. I mean, it points to a whole a whole new set of possibilities for many cancers. So it's excellent. Uh,
2: sorry, Richard, I think this is a technology that sits right between um, cellular therapy, like CAR T cells and and other types of cellular therapy, TIL cell therapies, and so forth. Uh, on the one side, and then on the other side is the antibody-type molecule therapies. So this sits right in the centre, this this type of um, cell lysate-type therapy. Uh, it's It's got its roots, you know, quite a number of decades ago, but the technology has never been properly explored. So this is what we're doing at the moment.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Well, Brendan, thank you for coming again on the podcast. And, uh, you know, it's good to have you in at least every uh, six months for updates on this exciting stuff. Very, very important. So thank you. Thanks, Richie. Don't forget, before you go, use code genius at Viome.com for an additional $20 off your health intelligence test and get started on your health journey with the right foods, supplements, and probiotics and prebiotics for your unique biology. Get a deeper look within with Viome's health intelligence test.